I am super excited to preach this message today. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm trying to calm myself down because I don't want to preach it, preach it. I want to teach it more or less. But I'm just excited about what's going to come out of today's message. You know, sometimes a message has the power to change things inside of you. Come on. Sometimes just one good message can change something inside of you. Amen? Let's pray because I need some help. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity. God, use me today. Speak to us today. Speak through me. I submit my plans, my perspective to you. God, open our hearts, our minds, and our ears today. Give us those kinds of ears that can hear what you would say to us today. We thank you for the freedom to be here. We count it a privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to continue with the series Masterclass. We're talking about love, sex, and marriage. We're talking about all those things. Yes, the church needs to talk about those things. <laughs> Come on. The church needs to talk about those things because the world is talking about those things. Amen. And as parents, you should be talking to your children about those things. If you're not having the talk with your kids, then somebody else is having the talk with your kids, and it might not be what's right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you might ought to be intentional about that. So in this series, we've got something for everyone. We've got something for every relationship um, that you could possibly have. You can apply most of these truths to every relationship. You'll hear the word marriage a whole lot, uh, but you can apply it in any direction. You can apply it to your children. You can apply it to your friends. If you're dating someone, you can apply it to them. Uh, extended family members, you can apply it. Their coworkers, whatever. You can apply these practical things to those relationships. So in order to fully understand love, sex, and marriage, we must let the one who designed them define them. Amen? How many of you were like me? Maybe you were raised in church, but the world defined love, sex, and marriage for you. Yeah. My mom never had to talk with me. She left a brother hanging. <laughs> I learned from the world, and it got me in trouble. Right? And so these, since then to now, God has been redefining through his word what love, sex, and marriage really is. For some of us, we discover or we learn about love, sex, and marriage by popular culture, maybe past experience, maybe movies, maybe magazines, Google, YouTube. If that's where you're learning, heads up, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And so today I want us to look at one of the most critical foundational things in relationships that every relationship must be built on. And I'm going to tell you today, if you'll get this thing right, this one topic we're going to tackle today, if you'll get this right, it's almost impossible for, for anything to not change. It's almost, it's like anything can change if you'll get this one thing right. It's vital. But if you don't get it right, you're not going to gain much ground in relationships. Today, I want to talk to you about trust. I, I, that's for me. Y'all bear with me. I'm, 
I want to talk to you about trust today. Let me, let me start with a story from 2 Samuel chapter 4. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. His grandfather was just killed. His daddy was just killed. And the nurse that was taking care of him was, was fleeting. She was running. She grabs him. She drops him. And both of his legs become crippled. You think he's having a bad day? Was it his fault? Did he ask for it? Did he wake up that morning and say, you know what, I need a bad day? No, he didn't. He woke up that morning like every other morning, but he had a bad day, and a lot of things were taken from him in that moment. I want you to understand something, that none of us come into this world with trust issues. We develop them. You weren't born with trust issues. Even in the womb, you were being taken care of. You were being provided for, even in the womb. Come on, there's life in the womb. You were being cared for. When you came out, there was people to take care of you, people to nurture you, people to, to provide for you. Babies don't come into the world with trust issues. They fully trust. But no baby has trust issues until they're dropped. Somewhere along the line, something happens to us and trust is broken. And now all of a sudden we have trust issues. Mephibosheth was a kid. He paid the price for somebody else's mistake. In one moment, his whole life changed. We've all had trust broken by people we love, and we've all broken trust with the people we love. Amen? Amen? Maybe some of you know what this feels like. Maybe your parents said they were going to do something and they didn't keep their promise. Maybe your friend you shared your heart with turned their back on you. Maybe your boss that, that keeps taking advantage of you. Maybe, maybe your previous church did something to hurt you deeply and, and now you got some trust issues. Maybe God didn't come through like you thought he should and now you got some trust issues with God. Anybody got some trust issues with God? Maybe you discovered your spouse was viewing pornography or cheating on you. And now you've got some trust issues. Some of you did the survey we sent out. We sent out a survey to kind of gather some information and see where the church is. And I'll be honest with you, most of the news and most of the statistics were, were good and encouraging. But there were some of them that were like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And so about 50% of you or 50 people here in Eunice filled out this survey. So let me give you some of the results of the survey. When asked if you have ever cheated on your spouse, 17% said yes and 83% said no. When asked, has your spouse ever cheated on you, 22% said yes and 78% said no. Brace yourself. When asked, have you ever threatened divorce in your marriage, 44% of us said yes. And 56% said no. 
that one bothers me. So let me just take a little side passage real quick. Let me just address this whole using divorce in the marriage issue today. Come on. We're going to get on it today. We're going to quit using the D word today. Because every time you use the D word in your household, you break trust in the whole household. If you say it in front of your kids, your kids are in a panic now. Not only did you break trust with your spouse because you're threatening divorce or you're threatening to leave and you're using divorce or leaving as a crowbar to get them to do something that you want them to do. And if they don't move fast enough, if they don't change quick enough, and if it's not like you want it to be, I'm out. And now all of a sudden you're threatening that person, I'm leaving. And God forbid your children hear that. Your kids will lay in the bed at night weeping by hearing you use the divorce word. By hearing you threaten each other to leave. If you've used the divorce word in the past, you need to repent. Oh, I got quiet up in this church. You need to repent, maybe because 44% of us use the D word when we shouldn't. My wife and I do not use the divorce word. You can ask my children, have you ever heard your mom and dad threaten divorce? Have you ever heard them threaten to leave? They will tell you this, when mom's had enough, she takes a ride. It's called the reshard ride. She gets in the car, we know when she's had enough, she grabs the key, she's in her, her <laughs> she's in her, Evening attire with her slippers on. She grabs her keys. We hear the car door slam. Vroom, and she goes down the driveway and we all get on our phone on the Life 360 app and we're going, where's mom going? And she takes a ride. But watch it. She comes back. What is she doing? She's not smoking nothing. She's not drinking nothing. <laughs> Let's just clear that up real quick. She's not doing any of that. She's going and she's breathing a little bit. She's probably praying some. She's probably and likely lamenting to God for these children. Not me. Not me. It's never me. Come on, man. It's never. It's them children. But she comes back. You cannot use the divorce word unless you've exhausted everything that you have and nothing changes. And I mean everything that you have. It does damage in the family when you threaten divorce. You got it? That needs to die today. We need to be a people that will fight until there is absolutely nothing left inside of us and we've exhausted every resource we can. The Bible actually only gives us one way out and it's by adultery. You got it? Say, I got it. Quit using that. 
So when trust is broken, we say, if I can't trust them, then who can I trust? You ever said that before? Who can I trust? If if they broke trust with me, then who else can I trust? Another research from the Pew Research Center shows that 40% of baby boomers believe people can be trusted. 19% of millennials believe people can be trusted. That's scary, y'all. In our society today, we no longer trust the police. We no longer trust politicians, doctors, government, priests, or pastors. So if the currency of our economy is the dollar, then the currency of our relationship is trust. It's the currency that we have in relationships. You have to have trust to have a relationship. There has to be some measure of trust in the relationship. So we all have what I call a trust or relational trust fund. (laughs) Every time somebody encourages you, it's a deposit. Every time somebody keeps their word, it's a deposit. Every time your spouse opens up to you and shares their heart with you, it's a deposit. Every time your friend listens to you, it's a deposit. But the opposite is true. Every time you call and send a text message and they don't respond, it's a withdrawal. Come on. Every time someone gossips about you and you find out about it, it's a withdrawal. Every time you catch someone in a lie, it's a withdrawal. If your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend has cheated on you, it's a huge withdrawal. And if there's no deposits and too many withdrawals in the trust fund, it often closes. You see that? It's it's simple money management. There has to be more coming in than there is going out. (laughs) Right? You need to be making more deposits than you're making withdrawals. Come on. Your relationships are no stronger than the amount of trust that you have in them. In the survey you took, we asked the question, how would you rate trust in your marriage? 48% said amazing. 30% said good. 14% said fair. 6% said poor. And 3% said bad. You, getting, you sticking with me this morning? You tracking? Relationship circumstances. All relationships have circumstances, don't they? Have you had some circumstances this week? <laughs> Did your marriage get tested this week when you were locked up in the house for Snowvid 19? That boss says Snowvid. Did you have some, when you have circumstances in relationships, it develops a gap. It it develops a gap between what you expect in the relationship and your past experiences or what you've experienced in that relationship. It, It creates a gap. So anytime there's something that comes up or something that happens, there's a gap there and you're responsible to put something in that gap. And whatever you decide to put in that gap determines what kind of relationship you're gonna have. Is that making sense? So for instance, if you're in a relationship and somebody lies to you, there's a gap. You expected them not to lie to you, but your experience is that they've lied to you. And maybe somebody's lied to you in the past. 
and it bothers you. Come on. There's a gap there. What are you going to put in that gap? Because your choices will determine if the relationship is going to be healthy or unhealthy. So I want to talk to you today about the unhealthy response, and then I want to talk to you about the healthy response, and I'm going to give you three things to encourage you, and then we'll wrap it up. An unhealthy response to this gap or, or something that you would put in this gap would be suspicion. You ever been suspicious? You ever ask suspicious questions? <laughs> A tongue tister. Maybe your husband showed up late from work and you immediately started getting upset for him not calling or texting. And you start assuming he's cheating. How many of you, your mind automatically goes to some extreme? Like you just automatically go, oh, they're dead. It's like, hold up a second. They're not dead. Oh, they found another woman. They didn't find another woman. Chances are. Come to find out, he only had a flat tire and his cell phone was dead. By the way, we don't know how to live without cell phones, do we? Maybe you start asking questions. Why are you sitting next to her? Why didn't you text me back? Where were you? This will show up with your kids. I was drilling one of my kids so hard that I started to do some damage in his life because I, did, I, had, I had trust issues with them, and I was drilling them, and I was suspicious. And what, and what I watched happen was suspicion started to drive a wedge between us. Because when there's suspicion in a relationship, it creates rejection. What I realized is that a is that child of mine started thinking, well, I can't ever be trusted. I'm not trustworthy. He, they start believing the lie that I'm not trustworthy. So therefore, why even try? Because of suspicion. Hebrews 12 says this, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We got to pay attention to what's going on around us. You got to pay attention to what your words are doing. You got to pay attention to what your questions are doing. You got to pay attention to what you're establishing in your relationships. Am I building mistrust? Am I doing damage? Is this helping or is this hurting? <clears throat> Bitterness is when your spirit gets stuck in a state of pain and you can't seem to get out of it. And let me tell you something, that's exactly where the enemy wants you. You know what he loves? He loves bitter believers. Right, I'm, I'm going to tell him over here because y'all didn't respond to that. Satan loves bitter believers. No, thank you for the courtesy, Cole. Appreciate that. That's exactly where he wants you. And watch this. When you and I let go of trust, we lose hope. And when we lose hope, we become cynical sometimes. Come on. Have you lost hope? Where are you at right now? Have you lost hope? 
Have you become bitter? Have you become cynical? Cynics keep people at a distance. Cynics keep their heart guarded. Cynics prejudge people. (laughs) Cynics are usually lonely. Because they can't trust anybody. They project their past hurts and betrayals on future opportunities and relationships. Maybe you had a controlling boss. And you leave that job and, and, and you take that hurt with you now to a new job and you project it on a new boss. Maybe you had a bad church experience and now you're sitting in another church and you're reluctant to get involved. You're reluctant to open up again and you become cynical and critical of everything that's going on around you because you've been hurt. Maybe you've been taken advantage of and you say, I'll never be vulnerable Again, I'm putting up guards. Nobody gets in anymore. If you find yourself today being a cynic, it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you're a bad person. It's because you're a hurt person. Come on. You're hurt. You're not bad, you're hurt. So let me show you the only shovel that will dig up the root of these things. Jesus said in Mark 11, when you are praying, watch what he says, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Mm -hmm. Throughout the F word in church. First, forgive. So like what he's saying is don't even talk to me until you've forgiven the people that have hurt you. When you go to pray, first forgive those who've hurt you. Then your heavenly father will forgive you. You see it? Do you know you can forgive a person without trusting them? Come on. You can forgive somebody without trusting them. But you can't trust somebody until you forgive them. You see it? You can forgive somebody without trusting them, but you can't trust anybody until you forgive them. So if you've been hurt, the only way that hurt is going to change, the only way you're going to rebuild trust, it has to start with forgiveness. Come on. It has to start with forgiveness. It's amazing to me how we, we, we have a hard time comprehending that everything God does usually starts with forgiveness. Hello, you came into a relationship when he forgave you of your sins. Right? So what if, here's a good question. I've had this one a few times. What if I have chosen to trust, but my trust has been betrayed over and over and over and over again? Good question. Uh, It's probably happened to a few of us where trust has just been continually broken over and over and over again. What do we do? I've tried. Go back to the word and say and and realize that, that you were commanded to forgive We're commanded to forgive, but we're not commanded to trust. We're commanded to forgive. (laughs) Come on. 
We're commanded to forgive. It, the Bible's clear. If you don't forgive others, he's not forgiving you. It's very simple, but, but I get it. It's very difficult, isn't it? It's very hard sometimes to forgive other people. But listen to me, as Christians, with the spirit living inside of us, we need to make every effort possible to forgive people, watch this, as quickly as possible. Not trust them. <laughs> forgive them. Forgiveness can happen quicker than we think sometimes, but trust usually doesn't. Forgiveness is based on grace. Trust is built on works. Trust is lost in buckets. It's rebuilt in droplets. One drop at a time. But boy, it can be lost in a bucket, can it? So how do I deal with a person who keeps breaking trust, keeps hurting me, keeps betraying me over and over again. How do I deal with them? Well, I think you have to have a difficult conversation with them. I would first say I would seek some counsel, a pastor, a counselor, somebody. I would seek counsel on what to do next. The reason I say that is because it gives you an opportunity to get your emotions under control and to gain a little bit of outside perspective. Okay? Once you've done that, if you've, got, if you've received some good pastoring or some good counseling, then you'll need to have a hard conversation with that person. And it always works best when your emotions are under control. Because ain't nobody hears nothing when you're hollering. Believe it or not, your kids aren't listening when you're screaming. You need to have a conversation. You need to help them understand how the trust was broken and what it makes you feel like, and you need to gain some understanding from them on why they keep breaking trust, if they understand or not. You see it? You need to have a hard conversation. You need to communicate in that conversation that I want to trust you, but I'm having a very difficult time because you keep breaking it over and over and over again. But I want to trust you. My first response is not, you do it again, I'm gone. You can't fix nothing like that. Need to have a hard conversation. As the one whose trust has been broken, you have the right now to, to place some loving demands on them. I want you to work on this. I want you to seek counsel. I want you to get some help. You need to get some help. I want to trust you. I want to rebuild this thing. I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to walk through the pain, but you're going to have to do some things. Come on. It's called loving demands. You see it? Rolling over and taking it time and time again does not help the other person. And it does not help you. Come on. If you love the person, you'll do what it takes to help them. 
right? Sometimes putting a foot down and saying, listen to me, you need to get some help. I'll help you any way to get that help, but you need to get some help. You need to go see somebody. You need to become accountable to somebody. You need some counseling. You need to work on this because if you're not working on it, you're telling me that it's going to happen again. And it's going to be really hard for me to trust you if you're not working on it. But then you have to guard your heart. Because when you put loving demands on people, you got to guard your heart because you might want to just hold them hostage for a little while. Oh, come on, my, my vengeance people. Come on. You'll post it on the, on the billboard in the kitchen. You screwed up. And when I'm ready to let you off, I'll erase it off the board. Guard your heart. You're not here to hold them hostage. You're here to help them. Come on, you're here to rebuild. Remember our first response is to forgive. Then we start to work on the trust. You need to pray for them. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. You need to pray for them. You need to seek godly counsel and a pastor to get you some direction. Amen? So how do we respond in a healthy way to circumstances? We choose trust. Trust is a choice. Come on. It's a choice. We choose it or not. A healthy response to circumstances in relationships is to choose trust. How do I trust again? Good question. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, listen to what he said. He said, love bears all things regardless of what comes. Believes all things, looking for the best in each one. Hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times. Endures all things without weakening. That's what love does. Love bears, believes, hopes, endures. Can I say that one more time? Love bears, believes, hopes, and endures. So when there's a gap between what you expected and what you see, you've got to make some choices. And I want to encourage you with three choices to make. First choice is to choose trust by focusing on their character and their past trustworthiness. Clearly, you were in a relationship with them because at some point in the relationship, they were trustworthy. Right? And just because trust is broken doesn't mean that they're all of a sudden completely without trustworthiness. I couldn't find the right word. Sorry, teachers. But, but here's the difficult part when you break trust with somebody, because when you break trust with somebody, there's this tendency to go, well, they're completely untrustworthy. I can't ever trust them again. Like everything that were trustworthy in the past gets wiped away. And, and unfortunately, that's one of the circumstances of breaking trust with people, is you have to face that. But I want to encourage you to choose trust by focusing on their character now. If they're working on it, focus on their character now and their past trustworthiness. 
They might have failed. They might have made a mistake. They might have intentionally or unintentionally done something to hurt you. But at one point, they were trustworthy, which means this, that they do have the ability to be trustworthy. Let me, let me just stop for a second. I'm coming at this thing as divorce and ending as the absolute last resort. When I look at problems in relationships, I believe every one of them can be fixed. Every single one of them can be fixed. And there's some of you sitting in this church that have walked through some stuff that you should not be in a relationship with that person anymore. But because you trusted God, God moved and you're in a relationship now that is better than it was before the trust was broken. And, if you, and you're hanging on to hope that God's going to do something. That's where God gets glory. So when I look at this, I come from the point of let's fix it. Let's fix it. Getting out is not an option. That's just the way I see it. Now, there may be times where there's an option to get out. But we choose trust by focusing on their character and their past trustworthiness. Listen to me. If that person is working on it, you need to trust them somewhat. You need to give them a chance. Come on. If they're working on it. The second thing I want to encourage you with is to choose trust by looking for an opportunity to believe the best rather than assume the worst. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. That's so hard. Because when somebody hurts you, let's be honest, suspicion's your new buddy. And it's hard to... It's hard to look for the best in somebody and not assume the worst. I got this issue with my kids sometimes. Can I be honest with you? But number two is strictly for me. If some of you need it, great, but that's for me. Because I have a tendency sometimes, and I'll just be vulnerable with you this morning, I have a tendency sometimes to believe the worst and not look for the best, especially in my children. And I know it does damage, and I know that it's not good, and I'm asking God to change my heart, and he is changing my heart. But it's a choice I have to make. Every moment, it's a choice I have to make. We can't afford to get stuck in suspicion. Stephen Covey says, we judge ourselves by our intentions and everyone else by their behavior. Isn't that true? The third thing I want to encourage you with is to choose trust by not allowing your emotions to rule the moment. When emotions are high, words get real stupid. Amen? Amen? When emotions get high, you might not mean to hurt them. Oh, no, actually, you do mean to hurt them. That's <laughs> just a course correction. When emotions get high, words come out that do damage that does not help the trust rebuilding process. So you may need to take a reshard run. In your slippers. Don't smoke nothing. Don't drink nothing. That ain't going to help. Let's go take you a little ride. 
Get your emotions under control. Lament. Talk to God about how you feel. Tell him exactly how it feels. Get it out with God before you give it over to somebody else. Because if you get your emotions under control, you can do more than if they're out of control. Amen? So how do we rebuild trust? For those of you that have broken trust, how do you rebuild trust? You got to start with a confession and then a repentance. Newsflash, it's better to come clean than to get busted. Can I say that again? It's better to come clean when the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart than to get busted because you've been trying to hide it. Come on. You can, you can gain way more ground when you confess versus when you get busted. Because when you get busted, it tells the other person that there was no conviction in your heart. And then the, don't even talk about denying it and making excuses for it. That does more damage too, right? Confess, own it, own it, and repent. Sunday before last, uh, Saturday before last, Saturday night before last, this last night. Saturday. Two Saturday nights ago, I was, I was, the house was calming down and I was getting ready to go into my study and, and finish up my message, just put the final preps on it and, and all this and that. And something happened with me and Cheryl. I, I don't, it had to be the devil. Honestly, it had to be the devil. Because it's like we're having a great day and then all of a sudden, I don't know if I said something or she said something, but we were like two dogs in the yard. And I'm like, and I'm arguing with her. I'm going, what the heck are you doing? And I walked away and we're like, anybody huff and puff around the house? I walked away and I got to my study and I'm about to like go grab my Bible and prep my message. And, and the host because you know I ain't about to talk to you. I'm like, and I walk back to the bathroom. Watch this. I walk back to the bathroom. I didn't process what went wrong. I didn't, I didn't get a solution. I didn't do none of that. I walk back to the bathroom. I push the door. And I said, hey, that was dumb. And I said some stupid things. And I want to ask you to forgive me. I don't know what happened. I don't know why all of a sudden we're biting at each other's throat. But I said something stupid, and I'm sorry. I stopped, took responsibility for mine, and I initiated by going back, because hello, I'm the leader. Hello, man. Men. Men. You're the leader. I walked back in the bathroom, and I said, I got to own mine. I didn't make an excuse. I didn't try to justify it. I squashed it. Because it was demonic. It was the devil trying to star, stir, some, stir some division between me and Cheryl. Because it was literally nothing. <laughs> it's like the car backfired all of a sudden out the blue. Just pow! And you're like, the heck was that? But I owned it. Confess and repent. This is how you rebuild trust. You confess and then repent. You own it and then you change it. Then you need to add some transparency to it. 
You need to be open, honest. Come on. Accountable. Open, honest, and accountable. You want to rebuild trust or not? Openness is a beast. Transparency is hard. Took a group of men last year, and we went through a life group study, and it dealt with sexual impurity with a specific emphasis on pornography. And so I invited a group of guys, didn't know if they had any issues or not, just invited them to the group, say, hey, guys, let's, let's tackle this. And one of the first things they did was they, they, they challenged us to establish accountability and transparency with a, an app called Covenant Eyes. And so me and about five other guys agreed to be accountable to one another, and we shared our information, we downloaded, we had to pay $15 a year for Covenant Eyes, and now every morning when I wake up, I get an email, with, I get five emails, it tells me my report, their report, and everything that they've looked at. It's accountability, it's transparency. Do I like it? No. I hate it, or at least my flesh does. Come on. You need to be transparent. Then you need to be consistent. You need to stay faithful to what you agreed to do. If you want to change, you're going to have to stay faithful to it. Then you need to build in some longevity. You need to stay with it for the long haul. Amen? Stay with it. Because you can't outlive it. You can. It's possible to outlive it. It's possible to outlive. It's possible to change. It's possible to rebuild trust. It's possible to not ever make that mistake again. It is possible. And you can't give up because this is what the enemy wants you to do. He wants the one whose trust was broken to give up. And he wants the one who broke the trust to be condemned and give up. He's after absolute destruction. But it can change. Stay with it. It may not be easy, but listen to me, it's worth it. So if you're the one creating the gap, own it. Call or text when you're running late. Communicate well. Do what you say you're going to do. And when you don't, apologize quickly. Don't hide anything. Quit lying. <laughs> Quit lying. Jeremiah said this, or well, actually God said it in Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans and rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. Truth be told, people are going to let you down. Amen? People are going to let you down. God will never let you down. He's not going to do everything you ask him to do, but he's not going to let you down. So when you choose trust, trust leads to hope. And hope is the antidote to bitterness, cynicism, and all those things. 
Verse 7 in Jeremiah says this, Blessed are those who, who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Blessed are those. Did you hear that? At the end of the day, I trust Cheryl. For 23 years now, she's been trustworthy. I don't worry about if she's running off with the money because there ain't that much to go with. I don't worry about her running off with another man because I'm more than enough. It's my story and I'm sticking to it. I trust her. She's, she's earned trust. She's built trust. But it wasn't always this way. Early on in marriage, about year two or three in, we, Virginia was just born. Cheryl came from a home with, with really poor leadership. Her dad was not a leader at all. And, and he did a lot of damage, a lot of things to break trust. I love him dearly, but he, he just, he did a lot of damage. She came into the marriage with some major trust issues. I came into the marriage spalled rotten. My mama gave me everything I needed. We had a little collision. About year two or three, we're getting to a place where I'm, I'm young, I'm immature, I'm trying to lead my family, trying to be the man, and she ain't letting me. You ever had that problem? She's not letting me. And so we start butting heads. And one day, in a fit of rage, I hollered at her. I said, why won't you let me lead? Thinking that she would just come up with some sweet answer and submit, only to be surprised that she didn't. She said, she said a few words very loudly that rocked my world. In a very loud voice, she said, because I don't trust you. And it landed like a boulder on my heart. And I walked away and I got with God and I said, Lord, what's the deal? <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? What do I do? Question. Are you praying about your weakness? Are you asking God to help you with your failures? Or are you just assuming he's going to work on your behalf? Because the last time I checked, he wants to talk to you about it. This is what he told me. He didn't say I could get out. He didn't say I could go find another one. He didn't say I could trade her in. He said, I, I made her to be led. And I made you to lead discover how to lead her in a way that she'll follow. And from that day on, it started a change inside of me. I'm an, I lead my household. I say that with confidence today. You can ask any of my closest friends. I lead my household. Not like a dictator, though. I'm trying to lead like Jesus. But it wasn't always that way. Continuing in with verse 7 and 8, listen to what it says. These people that put their trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope, their hope and their confidence, listen to what he says about them. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried about long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. One of the greatest things Cheryl says to me today 
is when there's a big decision that needs to be made or we're facing a mountain in our family is when she comes to me and we pray over it and she looks at me and she goes, baby, I trust that you're going to hear from God and I trust that you're going to make the right decision. What is she saying? Ultimately, my hope and my trust is in Jesus. But I see Jesus in you and I trust Jesus in you. That'll put hair on a man's chest. Not his head, but his chest. Just saying. That will, that will validate your man. That will respect your man. And watch this. You know what it made me do the first time she told me that? It made me dig into God even more because I'm like, well, she believes I hear from God, then I better hear from God. Make sense? So the antidote is not to pull back and say, I'm not ever going to trust anybody again. The solution is to plant your roots deep, stay connected with the Lord, and develop the roots that can withstand the intentional or even the unintentional hurts that are caused by other people. Our hope is not based on feelings or emotions. It lives in the person who went through hell to give hope to us. Amen? So do you want to overcome your trust issues? <laughs> Y'all something else. Y'all won't respond to nothing. Do you want to trust again? Yes. I can go another 30 minutes, y'all. I got plenty more to say. I mean, I'll wear you out today. You want to trust again? Then ask God to help you trust again. Open your heart to him. Open your heart to the person that's broken trust. And let them know that you want to rebuild that trust. Give them some hope. Amen? So what happened to Mephibosheth? Anybody wondering? We pick his story up in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Watch this. You remember the little boy who lost his grandfather and his father and he became crippled all in one day? And <laughs> you thought you had a bad day. David becomes king. And remember, David's a man after God's own heart, right? So what you're going to see right here is God's heart for us. David asked the question. He says, is there anybody in Jonathan's family left? Is there anybody around that is from Jonathan's family? And one guy said, yeah, there's his son, Mephibosheth. He's crippled. He said, where is he? And the guy said, he's in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar's meaning is no communication, isolation. It was known as the ghetto back in the Bible days. Mephibosheth, whose trust in man was broken severely in one day, was living in a place of no communication, isolation, in the ghettos. David said, go get him and bring him to me. And they did. Verse 11, and from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba, that was the guy that found him, his household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. I want you to hear this today when I close. God 
wants you to trust again. His heart is broken because yours is. And he is the God that will move on your behalf. Meaning this, no matter what you're walking through right now, if you'll trust him, he'll move. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. I'm grateful that I can trust you, God. And it blows me away when I realize how much you trust me. Because God, I've known my failures, I've known my shortcomings, I've known my pride, my rebellion. And God, I've hurt you many times. And I've broken trust with you many times. Yet you still trust me. God, I want your heart. I want to be able to trust like you trust. Thank you for showing me your heart. God, help us today. I believe every one of us has something. Something's happened. Small or big. And in some way or another, it's keeping us from something or it's causing us to do things that we shouldn't be doing. First, I ask you to help us to forgive. Just as you've forgiven us, we'll forgive those that have hurt us. God, I pray that you help us to seek good counsel. To get the emotions under control. To get in a better place where we can, we can make some decisions with a clear mind and a clear heart. And God, I pray today we'll fight for the relationships. We won't be people that give up easy won't be people that walk away too easy. God, we can all be like Mephibosheth and find ourselves in Lodabar. But you've called us to your table. You've called us to the table with even our enemies, even with those who have hurt us.
Thank you.